welcome to the Natural Running Network Live. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the first strapless EKG accurate heart rate monitor sports watches, and Vitargo, the energy replacement and recovery drink of intelligent endurance athletes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? getting ready to do your first 5K, 10K, marathon, triathlon, Spartan race? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Today, we're going to have a very interesting show. I've brought on a couple experts to discuss this growing trend that seems to be uh, being woven into the endurance world where diet is concerned. And what I'm referring to is high-fat diets, people that are you know, getting involved in this high-fat diet with the hope and claim that um, through this high-fat approach to eating that they're going to have limitless energy, not have the need to eat as often during events. And uh, I'm just perplexed by the whole concept of this. So rather than just ranting about it, I brought a couple of pros on. And uh, gentlemen, when I bring you on, I'd like you to do your own introduction so that I don't mess it up for you. Let's start with Anthony Almada. Anthony, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, R.D. How are you? Very well. Happy good, Friday. Good, good. Are you ready? I bet you've been, you've been probably chafing at the bit all morning long. No, actually, I stopped off and bought some organic butter and some cream <laughs> and been putting them together in a smoothie. Well, actually, uh, I've been looking forward to this because it's been—it's it, a very topical topic, and I thought it'd be great—great great to have our next guest, whom I'll let him introduce himself, because he was part of the the study that many people are writing about, non-scientists are writing about, right. and uh, well, be, he was be, one be, of the high carb guys. Excellent. Before we go to Mike, let's uh, let's have you give us uh, a, a, you know a little brief introduction of who sure. you are, what you do. Sure. Uh, Anthony Amada, I lead a company called Vitargo, so you may perceive that as being an instant conflict of interest because it's a carbohydrate. Fine, that's fine if that's perceived that way. Uh, I've done about 40 different or 80 different studies in humans, that mostly at university, most in, in sport and exercise and training, competition, cycling, swimming, running, uh, resistance training, uh, health and disease, uh, muscle biopsies, all that stuff, clinical neurology, disease states of muscle, and... Uh, they have always been passionate about conveying evidence and removing evangelism about sports nutrition. Excellent. Let's let's go ahead and introduce Michael. Michael, uh, good morning. Hey, how are you? Excellent. Give a shout out to Anthony and uh, let the audience know who you are and what you're about and what you've been doing lately. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, hey, Anthony, how's it going? Thanks Hi, very Michael. much. Good morning, sir. For, uh, for supporting the program and and me and and having us on and it's a, a pleasure to be on with two uh, two amazingly experienced and experts as yourself. So I'll try not to mess it up too bad for uh, for for the rest of us. Uh, I am a uh, marathon and ultra marathon runner. I run um, well. I guess all distances. Last year I ran 54 events from 5K up to uh, 100-plus miles around mountains in France. I competed on the 50K and 100K world teams, and I was named 2014 
USATF Master Runner of the Year for Trail and Roads. Um, and so I, I, I like to be out there. I like to be competing, and I like to be kind of pushing what's possible with my body. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I guess, an experiment of myself, but uh, excited to be uh, a part of these uh, discussions because it's always uh, interesting to see what the latest trend is and, and what other athletes are doing and, you know, how that can either benefit or um, – benefit me in my training and, and competing and you know a lot of these guys and girls I'm competing against on a if not a weekly basis then a monthly basis so it's always interesting to me to see what other people are doing and how it's working for them and you know if it's something that I should consider okay so let me if I could if I could gentlemen let me kind of uh, set this off by uh, what what brought me to invite you and why I wanted to bring this to the show uh, and first of all, um, I, I, I guess I'm a fly on the wall where this is all concerned because I do not run 100-mile races, and, and my, you know, my competitive era is pretty much behind me. But uh, I've spent basically a lifetime working with athletes and doing diagnostics on them to help them you know, arrive at a greater performance. And you know, the, I guess the, the uh, forte in my world has always been you know, uh, analyzing uh, the ability to utilize fats uh, as opposed to going directly to our sugar stores and doing this through training modalities and specifically heart rate. And, uh, you know, so lately, and incidentally I should say that over the years I've seen all sorts of trends come and go in respect to diet. Some of them ridiculous, some of them interesting, um, but we all tend to uh, seem to gravitate towards uh, tr tr traditional methods of of uh, you know energy consumption and and success with or without these types of uh, variations in our diet. But um, so you know lately I've been seeing a lot of threads on the social media in respect to athletes discussing uh, their success with high fat low carbohydrate diets. And I, I mean honestly it it has caused me to pause and look at it. Um, only because, you know, the depth of the research that some of these guys portray, and I say portray because um, I'm not tip, you know, I'm not I'm not an exercise scientist. I, I don't I don't spend time in a lab, you know, taking biopsies on athletes and those uh, ends of things to try to you know arrive at conclusion in respect to whether a diet's working or not. Um, but I do look at respiratory quotient and things like this, so I, I kind of tiptoe into that that medium. But in, in the long, long and the short of it is I've been tossing a lot of the information that I've been seeing back at Anthony, and we've had conversations behind the scenes, you know, in respect to, you know, what makes sense and trying to glean the truth from the falsehoods. And so here we are. And uh, so, Anthony, let's start with you. Let's, let, you know, you, you give me a broad stroke of what your take is on, number one, uh, if I was to personally – decide to change my diet because of what I'm reading and shift my way towards a really high-fat diet, what would be the health implications you feel that I would experience relative to what you know about the amount of work exercise-wise that I do in my day? Well, um, that's a really simple question, Richard. <laughs> I, I, would, I would offer this. First of all, we don't know with any diet really 
or any new nutrient or any new food additive or any new supplement long-term, what the health implications are. And if you look at short-term, high-fat diets uh, in typically diseased or obese people for a longer period of time have a significant, apparently, risk-reducing effect of primarily heart disease. But we don't have the ultimate study. Let's follow them for five years and see who among or what percent of people on the high-fat diet, high-fat, low-carb diet, have more heart attacks or strokes compared to those on the same amount of calories and ideally similar amount of protein but high-carb diet. We don't know that. So just lowering cholesterol or changing inflammation markers in blood do not predict the actual reduction of disease. That's a huge misunderstanding. Oh, my cholesterol is low, my risk reduction is down. I'm not going to have a heart attack. No, it doesn't state that. But what I would say is this. If you can think of a situation where if you could wire yourself where you didn't need carbs, what would that look like? And what is very interesting is there is an actual disease where the, the muscle stores a boatload of carbs. So if, if you and Mike were getting ready for a marathon and you were under my gut and said, have you taken about five to five and a half grams per pound of body weight of carbs per day for three days straight? Muscle biopsy confirmed, well, you've never had carbs this high or glycogen ever, and you would have full fuel tanks. But what if you had double that amount, but you couldn't tap into any of it? Well, that disease exists. It's called McCarnell disease, first described in 1951. And in that individual, they start to do a significant, for them, let's say, vigorous walk or a run after about seven minutes they are gassed out and even when they are on a super high fat diet for 18 months no improved performance they can't touch their carbs besides the sugar that's flowing in the blood of everyone that's alive even if you're on a two percent carb diet you have blood sugar you have to a couple of teaspoonfuls and your body can make it from other things in this condition, they have impaired endurance and maximal strength performance. They need glycogen. They need to burn the carbs. Right. Okay, so um, let's take it a, a different direction just for a minute. Um, I've been listening to a couple of uh, uh, people that, uh, quite frankly, I respect, that are, you know, they're banging the drum and they're suggesting that there's a high potential for uh, high-carb athletes to uh, end up with diabetic conditions. What's your take on that? Well, let's look at the incidents. And these studies were started at Stanford uh, back in the 80s, even published in New England Journal of Medicine, where they look at the all-cause mortality of lifelong athletes. And, and I would say that most people that are lifelong athletes are more, much more inclined to be higher carb than higher fat. That's just historical. And we see in them no greater instance of certain diseases. So if this is truly true, show me the data. If yeah. you're over-consuming carbs and you're sedentary, different discussion, move that to a different planet. But for an athlete who's training or an endurance athlete and is doing it frequently and they've been doing it for decades, show me the data that they will have a higher incidence of diabetes. Don't you think within the world of a Tour de France or a professional cycling or marathoners, how come those people, girls and guys, aren't saying, I come on, I'm diabetic. I'm diabetic. I'm yeah. diabetic. Yeah. Well, happening. I can tell you, 
I can tell you that the, the little bit of research that I've done on runners, and you know, we we tend to lend back towards the most successful runners in the world, which are the the Africans and uh, primarily the Ethiopians and the, and the Kenyans. The Kenyans subsist, or the Kenyan athletes subsist on about a 70 to 80 percent diet of simple carbohydrate, and very very little protein comes into their diet. And the, the protein that they do get generally comes from milk, which they put in their tea because it's too expensive to eat animal meat. If they could get it, they'd eat it. But they, they typically, their diets typically run about 70, 80%. And there's, they, they suggest that there is absolutely none, zero diabetes in those populations of athletes. They're using it. And the other, the, the other side of the pendulum, and this has been written about by the high fat camp, starting with, Steve Finney, is that what about the Inuits? If they were still living in a way that they lived, they'd have a super, super high-fat, moderate-protein, ultra, ultra, ultra-low-carb diet, and they could track across the entire tundra. Well, they can. <laughs> but what's interesting is that their genetic makeup is different than that of a Kenyan. And, so, and they've been eating that way for eons. Genetic imprinting, different genes different changes to the genes after the genes have been made. They have designer genes for fat. I'm not an Inuit. I can't perform <laughs> on their diet. But if I you was, you, maybe I could be a superstar. You don't but live I haven't in an seen in- any Inuit winning a gold medal for a marathon in the Olympics. You, you don't live in an Or in, in a hundred K run. <laughs> so so Michael, let, let's let's talk about you today for a second. Now you're 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 a, a very competitive a uh, 50 kilometer ra- uh, world class I shouldn't say very competitive you're you know you're a world champion in 50 kilometers 50 miles 100 miles um what is your staple when you go out and you perform uh w- how does your diet look uh well yeah i mean i think it's uh and that's why i was selected for the study was i i am the the uh antithesis of the high carb or I'm sorry the the high fat low carb uh diet I I am probably more on the uh Kenyan uh scale of uh uh carbohydrates uh with protein and then uh, I I'm a vegetarian also so I I don't consume animal uh protein in that way uh either so uh, I guess I fall more in the camp of the uh, the Africans than I would um, the Inuits. Okay, so um, you're a vegetarian. That's interesting. Um, and that's not uncommon in your world. Um, so, if you were to if you were to shift your diet, well, and let me back this up. Let me back this up. Let's talk about the research you did, and you were a part of a research study where they were studying. Tell, tell us what they were looking for. Well, yeah, I, I, the way I understand it is they're they're trying to get more information as to, um, and it was it was the faster study I think that a lot of people have been um, referencing. So, you know, there's there's high profile athletes um, that have done it on both sides, the high carb athletes, which is one of the ones that I was, and then lower carb athletes like um, Zach. Bitter was one, and Ben Greenfield was another one. And um, but what they're trying, the way that that it was explained to me is what they're trying to do is find basically a twin of you. That's uh, so there would be a high carb 
um, lower fat athlete like myself that would be paired against uh, like a Zach Bitter, who's a high fat, low carb athlete, but has similar results. You know, it competes at a high level and then see, uh, test both these individuals and see who can recover faster and who has the ability to, you know, run at a lower percentage of, um, or to burn, or to be more efficient, basically. Um, so, okay, so, so that, so, that was interesting to me. Yeah. So here's, here's a question. Here's a question that I had, and, I, and I'm glad I backed up because you, you you did a really good job of rounding that out. Because I know oh, a lot of people oh, in the back, yeah, a lot of people in the back of their mind are thinking about that study. Uh, so uh, I know that I, I looked at some of the research in the uh, that was conducted on Ben Greenfield. Yeah, he did the, a really interesting blog post uh, yeah, about it. Uh, yeah, which, he did a great uh, job with it. Yeah, he really but, did. I mean, it's interesting. Like, it's funny. He captured a lot of the things that. Uh, that uh, I I I forgot about like the little bucket we had to carry around and then I I saw him talking about the those those muscle biopsies and man those suckers I like those things really were <laughs> were amazingly painful and I still have the welts to prove it you know so um, it 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 brought it back to uh, to my mind uh, very crisply so okay. I was happy yeah. to see that. So I'm not sure how, how savvy you are with uh, the type of testing they did, but my, my question to you is they did VO2 tests and they did respiratory quotient or resting uh, uh, metabolic assessments. Do you remember whether um, your your resting metabolism, the RQ, was really low or really high? In other words, did it show that you're tr- traditionally a very good fat burner at rest or were you a high carbohydrate burner at rest? Hold on a second. I don't remember. Um, so that so what it suggests is if your RQ was close to point point uh, seven zero, then that would suggest you're really 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 high fat burner, and the closer to one one point oh would be really really high sugar. So if you're looking at data in front of you right now, if you look at the uh, respiratory quotient during the resting metabolic assessment. Somewhere along there, there's going to be a timeline, and it's going to indicate uh, what yeah, those values. Yeah, I see it now. The respiratory exchange ratio is that That's right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, baseline fasted is zero point seven seven. I guess I don't know. Okay, so yeah. so there we go. This is what you know, and I, I had no idea you were going to tell me that, but zero seven seven indicates that at rest you're basically burning your fat, my fat, and Anthony's fat while you're lying there. And so one of the things that I think they were trying to arrive at through this study was uh, how low this uh, this resting metabolism would be if your diet was such that you were high fat. And so I and I, and I don't recall precisely, but I know Ben's was very low, and apparently he went through a six month what they call fat adaptation process. And, yeah, and then but, they also have that optimized fat protocol or something, right? Like yeah. that some people follow. Right. Well, anyway, yeah. the, I, I guess what I was getting at is there's really no difference. It wasn't like because you're on a high carbohydrate diet, uh, the way you train uh, has more implication on your metabolism than what you're consuming. Would you fa- f- uh, see that to be pretty accurate, uh, Anthony? Well, but Mike, it's a really important thing now for you to reel a hand that no one has done, and that is what were you fed? 
What did they give you as a smoothie before they started doing measurements on you? And what did they give to you after you did your three-hour treadmill run? Yeah, the, well, yeah, that was... Uh, they that gave was, you a it good was, amount of fats, protein. Yeah, it was, it was similar to what they gave Ben, I think. So it was the, yeah, a good amount of fat. Some protein the, and a tiny amount of carbs. Exactly, yeah. So... Richard, one really important thing to be mindful of is that RQR yard does not tell you what you're burning. It gives you a guidepost, but if you but to de- get definitive data, you actually have to do biopsies, and you have to infuse into the blood a tracer, a non-radioactive tag that can measure how much fat you're burning. And how much carbohydrate you're burning. And unless you do that, and this was not done, that FASTA study, mind you, you do not know what you're actually burning. So you can actually be, when you're on a keto diet or keto adapted, the actual RQ for ketones, to make ketones, is zero. So even at rest and sedentary, it whacks the RQ or the RER. And if I was to take Mike and give him a high-fat meal the night before, and then happen to do a treadmill test with the breathing mask on, the data would be very different than if I gave them a high-carb meal the night before, equal calories. It is highly variable, and like blood sugar values that go up high, that does not tell you if somebody gets in the blood fast. It's overly misused. And the other thing <laughs> is if you're making lactate, Richard, which yep. Mike did and Ben did, you're burning carbohydrates. So if somebody writes you're burning almost all fat, they are horribly misdirected. Horribly. Okay, and so I appreciate the biopsy, that. Until you do the biopsy of the muscle and see that none of the glycogen left, which has not been shown, it's been shown to be the opposite, on a keto-adapted diet, you cannot say you're burning only fat. That's horribly misguided. Okay, so let's look at it like this. Consumption. If we go out uh, and we we set out to to run for uh, and I want to be careful how I say this, but we're going to go run five hours, all right? And we're going to have uh, a, a really really low carbohydrate meal before we go out, and then we take somebody else that has a pretty high carbohydrate meal before they go out, and they just set about running. If if you don't feed them. Uh, in other words, they're going to run to exhaustion, run to a point where they're going to fail. Who's going to get the furthest? And, it, it would, and the reason I said I'm going to be careful how I say this because it, it very, very much has to do with intensity, right? So let's just say that we get about 75% of maximum heart rate. Uh, who's going to stop first? Well, hopefully they would, be, they would need to be adult clones to be able <laughs> to have a definitive answer. Right. And, and, it, and only then because then you have – you have the running efficiency, that ever-elusive phrase, and then you have the, uh, the efficiency of how many, what's your heart rate per running spe- at a certain running speed and your efficiency to pull out oxygen and use it. Those are all these things that come, and how much blood vessels do you have. All right. these things go into that equation. But, but it would say right now, we don't know. And the, the well, biggest thing that I would offer, Richard, is yeah. we do not know. This is the key thing for your competitive listeners. We do not know if a keto-adapted athlete compared to an appropriate control 
were on a carb-adapted diet is faster or can run longer faster. We do not know that. We, we do know that you change what you're burning, but we have evidence going both ways how it affects performance. Well, this is where I'm going with this. And, and I realized that I, I, didn't, I didn't flatten the field by having a, a clone and, and, you know, oxygen uptakes being similar and efficiency being similar. But just let's say that the only variable in this is just how much energy is available and because it is a clone, their O2 uptake and their, their efficiencies is pretty much standardized. And so let's, you know, if we're going to get technical about it, let's say we're going to go uh, thresholds 150 beats per minute. We're going to run at 155 beats per minute until one of us drops. What's going to happen? Well, if, if they both had the same amount of muscle glycogen starting and liver glycogen, I would put my bet on the guy or girl that had the high-carb meal. That's where I was going. <laughs> That's where I was going. I had to suck it out of you, Anthony, but that, that, I, I, have to, I have to believe that's the case. I, and so let, let me take it to you, Michael. Let's just say that um, you know, you've been drinking the Kool-Aid and you've been hearing all this stuff people are saying about a high-fat diet. Would you Drinking feel the whipped cream, you mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> would you feel compelled... Uh, being competitive, being that you're at a world-class level and everything matters, you don't want to lose any races, would you be compelled? No, yeah, of course. Uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, would you, would you say, all right, uh, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to change my diet up. I'm going to stick to high fats, and I'm just going to rely on the fact that my, my, my diet being what it is uh, and I'm prepared to be what they refer to as fat-adapted, I'm not going to need to carbo-load during the race or uh, pre-race or, or uh, refeed carbohydrate during the race. Would you try that? Of course, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, that's uh, that's something that uh, I know I, I think we all should experiment uh, and and try to figure out what works for us. I, I uh, did that uh, a little bit uh, once I heard about this and, you know, it, a lot of the elite athletes, we chat amongst ourselves and and figure out, you know, if if all of a sudden you start seeing someone having some incredible results and you're thinking like, wow, you know, I wonder what that person's doing and um, I wonder how that would work for me. I mean, I think it's our obligation. It's almost like if there was an you know, a, a crazy new pair of running shoes that came out and you didn't try them and, and everybody else is having success with them, you would kick yourself for not um, not taking advantage of technology, right? And and that's what I think a lot of people are doing is they're seeing some of these athletes having really good results and they're thinking like, well, um, if this person's doing it, why can't it work for me? The the I think the 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 issue comes in is that um and it sounds really appealing right i mean like a lot of the problems that we have in the longer distances is fueling right and that's what it comes down to is like it's it's hard to get to train your stomach and your mind and and everything to keep consuming calories especially you know later in these longer events where you're out there 10 12 24 30 hours like the last thing you want to do is, you know, chugging, uh, I don't know, your 100th gel or, or you know, 
Pop-Tarts or whatever whatever it is you're trying to consume. And a lot of people have issues with stomach problems. So now there's this supposed way that where you can, you know, take one blackberry that you find in the woods and, and <laughs> you know, you you drink, uh, you know, a little bit of water out of a stream and, and you don't have to worry about fueling. It sounds amazing, right? I mean, it's, that's everybody's dream is just use your body for fuel. You know, if you, if you eat this way, you're not going to have to worry about fueling anymore. Your body's going to take care of it for you. Uh, and, you know, some people are, are having success w- with that, but w- what I think that they're doing is they're augmenting that with carbohydrates during the race because if they don't, you, I mean, if you were in a do-or-die situation, yeah, you could do that for a really long time. You could probably keep moving without eating anything. But if you're competing against somebody else and somebody's surging or you're going up mountains or you're trying to, you know, take advantage of somebody, you know, in the middle of a race, you you need energy stores and you need it now, and you can't you can't use that slow burn. And it it you know it didn't work when I when I have you know messed around with it. Um, and it's almost like a couple of years ago I was asked about um, you know barefoot running and, and uh, people were super into that. I don't know if you remember, but it was like oh, yeah. this, this, this big thing and and it was great for some people and a lot of and some people had amazing success with it and it did a lot of great things for the shoe industry, you know, in that it uh it brought a lot of innovation, but then, you know, there there was at the same time, you know, Hoka came on the scene and and they have and you know, I'm sponsored by them, so you know, keep that in mind, but they have an incredible product that you know, people, you know, were saying like, you know, you know, shoes that are cushioned like this are, are, you know, not going to work for people anymore. And, and, and people are having huge success with Hoka now. And, and I feel like it's the same thing, like that, um, carbohydrates have, have been getting beat up for a while. And, and I think that, um, history has proven that they're useful for athletes and, uh, in my practice, I mean, I can't compete at the level I do if I don't have fuel. And and I think that it's really easy to 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 hope that this is going to be the silver bullet that cures a lot of people from having issues. But I think if you fuel properly, you're not going to have those issues in the first place. Or if you do, you can minimize them. I mean, stuff goes wrong in in the events that we're talking about. I mean, even in events as short as, you know, a 5K stuff can go wrong. But as you um, run and compete at longer and longer uh, events, more more issues creep up, and, and a lot of those tend to be related to fueling. And, and so I think this is, in a lot of people's mind, catching on because that takes away a really big component of things that have gone wrong for them. Um, but I, I don't know how accurate is and I, and I think a lot of the people that are um fueling you know with the high fat low carb are um using carbohydrates and fuel sources uh during the event to be able to compete at the highest levels 
Right. Can I can I ask you a couple of questions? Like, what, for example, when you're yeah, competing, sorry, I kind of ra- I went on a no, really you know what, you tangent were, you there. Were, I hope that it dude, was there was some useful information somewhere in there. You you did a marvelous job, and you caught me by surprise when you said you would go ahead and try it because I was gonna I, I would have swore and I would have bet money that you would say no way I wouldn't do that. But you made a very good point as to why you would you would try something or anything to. To experiment, you know, almost feeling well, like you, ethically you need to do it for 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 the for the future, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's 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 part of our job as athletes to 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 experiment on ourselves, and 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 that's why I wanted to be a part of this uh, study in the first place. Is because if there's something that people are doing that's that's it's almost when I first started running, I refused to take gels because I thought it was it was cheating. Like I would only I would only sip water at the very beginning, and I get I would lose to in people that I knew that I was better than, and I was just like, that's ridiculous. Like they were taking all this stuff, and what, but they were being smart. They were just using technology. Like I mean, that's it's we have these amazing products like. You know, obviously I'm sponsored by Vitargo, but it's like it can't be much easier. You, it's a powder. You put it in your water and you drink it. You have it in your handheld or whatever, and um, it's you know a huge amount of calories. It's quickly absorbed into your system, and it allows you to keep doing what you want to do, which is run as fast as you can and as hard as you can. So, like, it just it doesn't make any sense not to take advantage of that if you have the opportunity. Yeah, so you just you just said something that was exactly where I was headed, faster and as hard as you can. Now, yeah. if I was if I was going to go for a walk and, you know, drinking water, uh, you know, and and feeding whatever, you know, uh, at at you know, at will, I could probably go a pretty long ways, but if if where I was going to go with this is I was going to ask you whether you you had measured your uh, your threshold through some testing, and you know whatever that was, because what I've preached to people forever during tests. As a matter of fact, I got a test I'm doing here in another uh, ten minutes on a world class athlete. And so <laughs> I would so, love to come sometime and get tested for sure. Yeah, let's do it, bro. Yeah, uh, that sounds awesome. But so here's where here's where I'm going with this. I tell people, and I've told people for years, and, and Anthony, if I'm mistaken, you better tell me today because I'm just going to spend the next 10 years singing the same song. Fat burns in the presence of oxygen, okay? And it's a principal consideration. Fat burns in the presence of oxygen. And if you take your body to a state where you're essentially anaerobic, your body's struggling to process oxygen, you're going to divert to your sugar stores. And if there's no sugar present, you're going to have a problem. Is that, am I, have I been lying to people for the past 20 years, Anthony? What would you do if I said yes? <laughs> I, I probably no, would I, just I, go out and shoot myself. Well, I, I would actually find that, Richard. I would say fat burns well in the presence of carbohydrates. And I gave that example of a, a pers- of the disease where they can't break down or access carbs and they gas out, and they stop. They have to stop. And it, it takes a while for their body to catch up and start producing glucose in the blood, releasing the blood, and burning fats. And yes, you have to have carbs, and it can be small. It doesn't have to be huge, but carbs to, 
to burn fat and perform or have high work outputs. Well, I've, if you I've have, heard... If you have no available carbs, if you're burning zero carbs, your performance will stop. And we have that right. disease to define that. Right. Well, I, I think it was Tom Fahey that said, um, um, fat burns in a carbohydrate flame, is what he said. Mm-hmm. So that that's in keeping with what you just said. But yes. the, the, pr- the problem is, is that if I was to suggest to someone that they're going to burn fat in the presence of carbohydrate, or sugar, then why would I not tell them to train at, you know, 10 beats above their threshold? Because it's not going to improve the the metabolic adaptations in the body um, from a standpoint of uh, being a better fat burner if if they did nothing but high-intensity training all the time. But but Richard, here's a question, and I'll ask both of you. So let's say you both go out together, you hook up, and you go out for a morning run, and you've been fasting for 12 hours. And Mike likes to go out running in a fasted state for three hours sometimes. Nothing the entire time. So where do you think the fat would be coming from that he's burning, that you both are burning? Where does the fat come from that you would use as, the, as a significant fuel, not the only fuel, ever, during that moderate-intensity three-hour run? Well, first of all, if I was to fast for 12 hours and then try to go for three hours... <laughs> My three-hour run would turn into a 35-minute run. I couldn't okay. do it. So, so Mike, where do you think it comes from for you? Because you do that. I do it, yeah. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I assume that it just is it's left over from the night before, but I don't uh, know. It, about half or more comes from fat stored inside muscle fibers. Not the fat that's on your love handles. Not the kind of, well, I'm burning fat, the fat that's around my love handles and my hips. No. It's about half coming from intramuscular fat in a fasted state. If you block that, you now start to have problems. So fat is always being burned. Right now at rest, about 55% of the cows are burning. 60% is coming from fat. Period. And, and what was a really interesting finding... And this is from the first study done, and for, allow me, if I, may, if I may, Richard, to give your listeners a perspective. The first low-carb or keto-adapted diet done, study done in athletes was in 1983. 1983. Do the math. That's a long time ago. In five pro cyclists, they had them on a, a, a 2% carb diet, half a bagel a day for them, equivalent, for four weeks. They did a VO2 max. That didn't change. And then after four weeks of being keto-adapted, after they were on a, a higher-carb diet, they, they did fine. They, ran, they pedaled just as long. They burned a lot of fat, but their muscle glycogen, which was lower, still 25% of what they started with before they did a, run, a ride to exhaustion disappeared. It got burned up, too, on a 2% carb diet. Now, what they didn't report in that study and it didn't come out until 21 years later by Steve Finney, was that, yeah, when they were, trying, when they were doing hill climbs, they kind of gassed out. Oops. Oops. So if you can find one of those roads they show where you know, there's miles and miles of, of desert and it's flat, if you can find a run like that that's flat, flat, flat for 50 miles, 
no headwind, no crosswind, no one to pass or overtake, no sprints. You could do fat fuel the whole way wonderfully well at a low intensity. But if you had a hill climb, gosh dang it, where's that gel? And I was speaking with Carl, the editor and publisher of, of um, Ultra Running Magazine yesterday. We were talking about this. And I, said, I asked Zach Bitter, so Zach, what do you do when you're racing? Oh, my gosh, I down gels. I load up on gels. So what isn't being told is that when you're racing, as Mike said, you've got to get carbs because no one races flat and it's 62% of their VO2 max for the entire race. Well, yeah, unless you're just like the best athlete ever created. I'd like to find that athlete. That's yeah. assessment. You know what I mean? Like that they're so so amazing that they don't need to to push to, to push to beat everybody. But there's yeah. not many of those athletes around. Well, I'll tell you guys, uh, you know, there there is backstory that I'm not sharing and, and, and I'm I'm gonna be careful not to share the entire story, but let me just suggest that I have an athlete I'm working with right now who is, you know, essentially world class in his sport. He's a pretty big guy, bigger than most of his competition by uh, probably 50 pounds. And he competes at various uh, – I'm almost giving this up, but I'm still going to keep it nameless. <laughs> but from a, from a 5K to a half marathon, and where he's obviously struggling is on the longer events. And the intensity that he brings to these events is very, very high. And so he's been getting, he's been getting Kool-Aid squirted at him. <laughs> or the whipped cream has been tossed at him over and over again because of the success of these guys that are rolling all around at about 135 pounds and having great success, you know, on these high fat diets. And he, you know, he's going, ah, you know, I got it. These are the guys I got to beat. Maybe I should eat what they're going to eat. And I'm thinking, dude, you can't, you, you're just too big. And the intensity is too great. When you're, you're looking for this, so like you were suggesting a silver bullet, it's not going to be there for you. You've got to have the carbs available for the intensity that you're going to be throwing down. Now, I've been saying that, and you know, and at the same token, I've been looking at all this stuff, and, I, and I've been trying to do some reasonable comparative analysis, but it's not an even playing field. You know, The bigger you are, the bigger the engine, the more intensity you're going to throw down, the more it's going to be imperative that you have carbohydrate available. Am, am I smoking crack now, Anthony? Well, if you are, I'm smoking the same thing. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's like, you know, it's starting to – this isn't about a couple of friends getting together for a 10K run or, you know, my first marathon or something like that where it really doesn't – I mean, obviously you could have a bad day and you wake up tomorrow and, and you could say, well, that was dumb. I won't do that again. But when it's your livelihood, when you, you know, you, you stand to win five or $6,000 – where you used to be on the podium, now you're not on the podium, and then you know you're mentally destroyed because you're going. You got guys talking about you because they beat you, which has implication down the road. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Michael, if you if you uh, are, are as egotistical as I am, but you know you get beat by somebody that's been drinking Kool Aid and you're not drinking the Kool Aid. Do you start looking at Kool Aid stores? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's your responsibility as an athlete if you're not performing at the level that you think you're capable of to start looking at you i first start looking at my training and you know if i was as 
uh, fit and ready to go as as I thought I was. And then, yeah, I started looking around to see, like, okay, well, you know, wh- why did that happen? And that's those are the tough questions you have to ask yourself, you know. And that's part of uh, growing, I think, as an athlete and as an individual. Um, and then, yeah, you you you, you got to look around and, and see what other people are doing, but. Um, it's almost like in the middle of a race, if someone surges and, and you don't go because you think that you're going to be better later and it doesn't work out, well, then maybe you didn't make the right choice. But I think you have to look at yourself first and not not what others do. I think, you know, we all have, and it's an experiment of one, really, with what we're doing. And um, there's a lot of different ways to, to get the, the result that you want. But yeah, you got to look at all the inputs and, and see if there's something that needs tweaked. I mean, that's kind of what we do, and um, especially when you're at the you know the the high level is you know the difference can be a couple seconds between you know coming home with the podium or or not. So um, yeah, you got to you got to be aware of what's going on in the world. You can't just have blinders on, but um, you also have to be confident in in what you're doing and and. I think that um that I that I try to do that and I think a lot of athletes do. Yeah. Okay, so we're getting to uh closing moments here. So I got about a couple of minutes. Anthony, uh can you kind of give a little summary of your position on all of this? What what would you listen the audience is listening, what do you suggest? You know, try to keep it fairly short. Uh, I think I think trying as Mike said, giving it a, tr- a a try is important. But I would say have we seen anyone not unlike so when Meb went from Nike to Skechers, did Meb st- did Meb break two hours in the marathon? No, he still was winning. Do we see anyone who's gone from a carb to a fat adapted diet ascending to the podium when they were mid pack before? I'm not aware of that yet. And if you believe that you are when you read stuff from non experts that they're telling the truth, or rather they know what they're talking about, you really are being misled. Okay. How about uh how about you Michael some parting statements? Yeah, I mean I think that um I think you need to be aware of what you're capable of uh, and then yeah, I mean it it's always interesting and and it's always cool to jump on the the latest and greatest thing. Um but there's there's tons of um research that's been done and tons of examples of people having uh success with um with with carbohydrates and and I don't think that because um you're seeing a lot of press about something that makes it right. I think that what you need to do is is find out for yourself and and everyone has the obligation to to do what works for them and and I think that everybody um should experiment but um but I know for myself i've I've done that experiment and and i I came back uh uh heavily on in the uh higher carb um and and if if you're not you know finding what's working for you um with with carbohydrates then maybe look at your fuel source you know um and be very careful uh, in your choices, and there's a lot of good options out there, and, and you just keep looking until you find something that works for you. And then, um, you know, it's almost like someone said to me once, like, uh, you you might not have a lot of eggs uh, in your basket, but once you get them in your basket, protect that basket. And um, for me, that's, you know, I've, I fall in that uh, 
that's higher carb athlete uh, basket, and um, you know I, I plan to uh, to be there for a long time, and and I'm trying to protect that basket, and uh, you know I I hope everyone finds something that works for them. Well, and then it's I think it's good to uh, it's important to point out that you've had success in events as uh, as short as a 5K and up to 100 miles. So I don't think that it's a function of you being limited to a particular distance. You know, in other words, you're not you're not the carb guy that does the high intensity stuff, uh, and you're not the you know the carb guy that is is feeding and going long. It's just your your staple has been a higher carbohydrate diet, and it seems to be the fuel of choice, and it's working for you. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 I and I think that it, I think that it works. And that's the nice thing about it. I mean, you can uh, apply that same principle if you're doing a, you know, a higher intensity track track event like I just did, or something where you're going longer in the mountains. Like it's the same thing. You don't have to change anything, and and it works uh, equally as well. And and you can really draw on it. And and I love the fact that you have the the energy to be able to do that and and it gives you a lot of range so you're not trapped in or trapped is a bad word but you're not limited uh to just doing certain events and and i think that you know that's something i love to do is is you know not just do roads or trails or or mountains but also tracks and treadmills and pushing jogging strollers and dressing up in costumes and like <laughs> I, I mean you got to you got to you got to keep things you know, fun and and exciting. And if it ever gets too tedious that it's not fun anymore, then you you know maybe you should move on and do something else. But um, you know the the ability to to draw on carbohydrates uh, has allowed me to do all those type of things. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of crazy adventures I can get into this year. Well, let me offer you a crazy adventure you're going to be doing soon. Uh, oh and, man, I know. I'm so pumped <laughs> about that. Yeah, okay, that's gonna so, be awesome. Anthony, I don't know if I told you, but I've invited Michael to come on this uh, this Spartan cruise to the awesome. Bahamas. Fantastic. And I, what one of the things that we're going to do, uh, I've arranged it yesterday, and I didn't tell anybody that I invited so far. But I'm going to do VO2 testing on the ship. And my plan. Oh no is, way! I was joking, but that's awesome. Yeah, cool. My plan. My plan is to put a sandbag on their on their back. They're going to have to run with a sandbag on their back on an incline. And the the goal is not to do a traditional VO2 test. The goal is to see how high a VO2 max we can generate with about I'm thinking I'm thinking in terms of about 20% of your body weight in in a bag of sand that you're going to have to hold on your shoulders on an oh, incline. Geez. To see who could suck it up and do the most intensity for the short, you know, for to get the VO, the biggest VO2. So, in other words, how long can you go before you got to quit? And we're going to get some people out there that are fat adapted, supposedly, that are going to have to throw down in this test. And so this is going to be my own little research. I'm going to have some of the baddest uh, athletes in the world on this boat. I, the boat's supposed to hold 2,000. And incidentally, for the audience that's listening, if you think you got the juice to beat Michael Wardian on that treadmill, I'm inviting you. If you give me your give me your uh give me your uh, your bio, send it to me in an email, D I A Z H P at Verizon.net, and if you got the stuff, if I think you're your caliber and you can prove it, I'm gonna give you an all expenses trip to, to the Bahamas 
to to throw down with Michael and see if you can beat him. How do you like that, That would Mike? be rad, yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, bring it on. That sounds like fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I was just calculating how much, big of a sandbag I'm going to need to train with, though. So yeah. uh, I, I think I can actually just throw my kid on my back because he's about the same uh, same amount of weight. So uh, I might have to do some uh, kid um, kid kid on shoulders type treadmill work. Right. Well, I got Richard, some crazy. You... Yeah. Richard, have you arranged for a super large plastic line trash can at the front of the treadmill? <laughs> you know what? These these guys, these these Spartans are accustomed to pain. They love pain. I, I, I talked to Joe DeSena about this, who is, you know, the founder of the death race. He loved the idea. He you know, oh pain it's like he told me he goes, you know, Richard, he said, uh Anything can happen. He goes, I may have you swim alongside the boat on the way to the Bahamas. <laughs> you know, he's, these guys are sufferfest animals. So I'm throwing down. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be doing some, some, some I think I'm going to do a burpee contest on the beach where I'm going to have, you know, a select group of people, probably the ones that participated in the VO2 test. I'm going to have them burpee to see who can do the most amount of burpees without their heart rate going over 150 beats per minute in two minutes and or uh, awesome man (laughs) are we going to use Mio's are we going to use Mio's Mio yeah absolutely I'm talking to Mio right now to see if I can get them to throw down that's awesome yeah 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 so it's going to be fun it's going to be fun so that's March 6th to the 9th it's a nice weekend in in, uh, the Bahamas I am so ready to be there and you know what's even better? I don't have to do the work. I'm going to orchestrate, which is what I do best. <laughs> Very fun. Yeah, well, you, you're not even going to you're not even going to get on the treadmill for a little bit, then. No, I might. I might. Uh, I, 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 you know, I might do. Listen, trust me. I, I've I've been working on my push-ups. I've been working on my burpees. I've been trying to get this horizontal ladder thing organized. And I'm a big old man, dude. I mean, it's not you know, it's not it's not going to be easy for me, but. You know, talking to Joe DeSena, he's not like he's not putting it up with any complaining. He's like, you know what? Suck it up, dude. Just you know. So yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of his attitude that I've seen. So yeah, I'm excited. Is he going to be there too? Then? Oh yeah, yeah, he's going to be there. Oh, it'll be uh, a pleasure to try to get to meet those guys. Then yeah, yeah. that'll be awesome. I got Charlie Ingalls coming. You know, Charlie Ingall ran across the Sahara Desert. You know, I know. I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> Charlie's coming. Um, I, I've got a couple other people. I, I invited a, uh, a decathlete, uh, a three-time USA uh, team triathlete. I know, excuse me, decathlete. And the guy's like Tarzan. He, he doesn't do Spartan races, but the guy's like Tarzan. So I'm, I'm bringing him. I got a couple other guys that I, I'm looking at. And I, Anthony, I told you if you if you could think of somebody. That might be entertaining to bring along. I, I'd love to have them. Just put them in touch with me. Do they have to be a human? <laughs> no, no. I mean, okay. you know, I mean, nobody said they got to be human. You know? Okay. You know, uh, maybe a clone that we something. were talking about. <laughs> maybe a pit bull or something. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Or a mutant. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I'm dying to get all this on film. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be quite a collection of characters. Uh, and and so I'm very excited about the whole thing. But 
Anyway, gentlemen, it was a pleasure having you both on. Anthony, you've always been my go-to guy. And, I'm, you know, for, for whatever it's worth, uh, I, I'm not on the fence. I'm, I'm a strong pers- a supporter of your product. I've been using Vitargo for, for as, as long as I've known you. And uh, I'm not about to, you know, uh, put vegetable oil on my eggs this morning before I go out and train. Thank you for the privilege of being on your show again, Richard. It's been a pleasure. Michael, you and I, we got a date, dude. I will see you uh, not too far off. I think it's about eight weeks out. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that and, and being a part of it. And thank you again for having me on the show. And, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy to be on the the uh, carbohydrate team. Uh, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to kind of uh, share some thoughts and um, uh, look forward to doing it again whenever you guys need me. So just let me know what I can do to help. Uh, you, I promise I will. All right, guys, you have an amazing weekend, okay? All right, talk to you Same soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, everyone. Okay, we're going to shut it down. Everybody, listen, again, I'm, uh, I'm I'm holding out the offer. If you think you got the juice, you could visit me at diazhumanperformance.com, diazhumanperformance.com. You can email me directly at diazhp at verizon.net. Or if you're looking to find out more about the event, go to spartan.com. And you're just going to have to dig through the calendar to uh, – you can have to dig through the calendar to find the event. It's uh, it's the Spartan Cruise. You might even uh, Google Spartan Cruise. You'll find it there. Uh, anyway, we're going to shut it down. Everybody have a great weekend. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.